I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, hey, I'm Jimmy Bullard, and this is me old Mac of We're back together, son. How are you? Hi, Bully. Great to be back working with you. What are we doing here, though? We're starting a football club in podcast form. The only thing we know, it's called FC Bullard. After that, it's all up for grabs. So, we haven't got any players, we haven't got a kit. We haven't got a club badge, we haven't got a stadium. Correct. FC Bullard. Welcome to the club. Why are we doing this? For the love of the game, mate. For the love of rugby. Let me introduce your hosts. The games that I've been involved in, the weather's also been crap. No man has played for England more times than Ben Youngs. But it's the most northern Six Nations venue. It's also the fifth biggest stadium in the UK. You'll be glad to know, Ben, with uh, 67,144 seats. Oh, Dan Cole. With his hundred caps, all his medals, his cuddly cute face and his beautifully shiny head. For the love of rugby. In today's episode, your guide to Murrayfield. How cold is it? Is there an annoying pillar in the middle of the away dressing room? The bagpipes. And how much Finn Russell loves it. Enjoy. Ready? Yes, of course. Yes. Born ready. Glad to be here. Commute was good. How was your commute? Yeah, it was absolutely fine. No problem. I mean, I do my normal thing where I leave it like, like last second yeah. before I actually have to go because I'm not very good at being organised. But it was fine. No problems. Do you remember we played up in Murrayfield in... was Eddie Jones' first game in 2016? Yep. There wasn't it the bumpiest flight home we ever had? Yeah, that was the same one where we'd been told that he was an absolute workaholic and uh, was on the go all the time. That would wake up at 3am, send emails and text messages. And we got on this flight home, right? And it would have been 10-ish? 10 at night, yeah. 10 at that. night. So there's Eddie and he's got his iPad open watching the game back. And then you just see his sort of hands sort of like fall to the side. His head start to slouch. He was like asleep at the aisle, <laughs> wasn't he? The workaholic was absolutely exhausted oh. after his first experience as an England coach up in Murrayfield. Was that his first game? Was that our first game under him? Yeah. George Cruz had scored. Jack Noll score? Cruz had nearly scored. No, I think Cruz scored. It was like picking go from a five-minute scrum or something like that. Yeah, I think he did actually. I think Jack Noll scored as well. I did remember he? Mako doing a great little right. circle ball to him. As you can tell, we've done our research. We have. I think that's the same game though, where there was a bit of controversy because I'm pretty sure they kicked it and I was running back. I went to go ground the ball and then a Scottish player like jumped on me and actually his hand, I think, maybe touched the ball before minded and there was a bit of a thingy, but was it, was it, maybe that was under Stuart Lancaster. Someone will correct us. Well, it wouldn't have been in 2014 because they didn't score. So we'll just drive straight into it. Obviously, Scotland play at Murrayfield. I made my debut up there as a winger, international winger. I was the last back on the bench. So often that happens is if you're the last back, you tend to maybe not get on, which we've discussed before. 
Anyway, Scotland make a break or something and Hugo Monnier goes down. And I can only describe it as, you know, the film Jerry Maguire with uh, Rod Tidwell, the running back or the, the wide receiver that lays there basically like unable to move, milks it and then he like flicks himself up and like gives it the absolute big into the crowd. Well, it wasn't quite at that level, but not far. So basically Hugo's down, dead to the world. Then they get a golf buggy on, but it runs out of juice. Can you remember this? Yeah. I think I tried to help push it off. Did you actually? Yeah. Were you trying to get off hooks quick, quick, get Lenny on, get, get my <laughs> mate a your favour, I was, yeah. <laughs> so they, they loaded him up. And at this point, Mike Ford's telling me, you're going on on, on the wing. And I'm like, I've, I've never like played on the wing. So I didn't have a, like, I knew roughly where I needed to be, but I was like, blimey, like this is a bit out there. But at the same time, it probably took some of that pressure off. So I was literally like, there's zero expectation now being a winger in pretty awful conditions. So... I went on, Ugo went off, and then I spent the next 15 minutes sort of running around really, just trying to not sort of make a mistake as a winger and Mike Ford just screaming at me where I need to be, what I need to do. I got through it, but it was an epic, as it always is up there, Yeah, 15 all draw. I was actually um, looking back at the results in Murrayfield. Obviously we played 2010, that was 15 all. 2012 was England won 13-6. In 2014, England won 20 nil. 16 was 15-9. 18, Scotland won 25 13 2020 was 13 6 and 22 was 2017 so they seem to be quite tightly contested affairs at murrayfield do you think that's the rivalry the stadium the weather conditions yeah i, I think some of it is because there's never been a blowout you kind of you're already in your head thinking oh it's going to be an arm wrestling it's going to be this and that rather than just going up there and being like right this is what we need to do and this is how we need to play but the last few years, I've always felt like being actually pretty much sort of in control of the game or did enough to win it, but just come short. And maybe that's how they've felt in the past against us when we got up there and snuck it. But history says they're always very tight. And I think some of that is the psyche of the two teams in terms of the rivalry brings out the best in both teams. But it's more of an arm wrestle game than necessarily a wide expansive game. Although Scotland do obviously go a bit more multi-phase and play in, in the likes of Finn, which we'll touch on later. But the games that I've been involved in, the weather's also been crap. Yeah. <laughs> I would say the weather does play a part because there have been several games I've played up there where it's been freezing, rain. It doesn't promote running rugby. Do you remember one year as well? Didn't we play and hadn't Murrayfield, the pitch had been eaten by some exotic worm or something. That's right. Yeah, no, I'm just doing some research now. It says, this is 2014. This season, a parasitic infection which affected the roots of the reseeded grass pitch coupled with the wintry weather has placed considerable stress on the playing surface in spite of the tireless work of the Murrayfield ground staff. The latest testing in the pitch shows that the problem with the nematodes is now manageable and that the treatment being used to eliminate the worm, which includes spraying the pitch with garlic, then plant sugars to simulate growth, is beginning to take effect. So if you've got a worm problem in your garden... Or elsewhere. Or up your bum. <laughs> eat some garlic. Eat garlic, plant some sugars, and stimulate. Does that work for hair, do you reckon? Oh, it rubs some garlic. <laughs> we're going to do a new... We're going to yeah. get, like, get behind this. We're going to rub garlic into Coley's head yeah, and, then put and sugar, try to stimulate yeah, some growth. Put some sugar on it and then uh, stimulate growth. But yeah, that's apparently worked. Just ever since then, it's been a great surface. Well, I think when we last went up there, we were actually in quite a good position and then it ended up... They, they went across field and then they went cross field again and Luke Cowan-Dickey found himself on the wing and... He batted the ball and it led to, I think they then scored off that. Or I think he got a penalty, penalty try. He yeah, got a yellow card. Try, yellow card. And then they got back down there again for a couple of our pens, ill-discipline, and they end up kicking a goal. And what do you say, 20 points to 17. Yeah. And actually, that was a game, actually, we were we should have gone on to win, really, yeah. but didn't. 
But no, I, I also remember the game in 2020 and the weather being absolutely awful. So bad that you're better off without the ball. And I think we ended up flying home that night because there was a worry that we wouldn't be able to get home the next morning because the, the condition was even going to get worse. We, uh, we had a scrum and, and basically we hit George who just hoofed it down the middle of the field, let it bobble loads. I think Hogg like, made a fumble of it or whatever. We ended up getting a scrum, pick and go, pick and go, score, and we won the game that day. But it's, it is always like, fiercely contested, but it's equally not always the most pleasing on the eye. But it's the most northern... Six Nations venue. Um, it's also the fifth biggest stadium in the UK. You'll be glad to know, Ben, with uh, 67,144 seats. There we are. I'd say to the listener, it's quite a strange stadium in some regards because you come out the change room there's a big like athletics track and Mofield's not it's not like a towering imposing stadium in like Millennium Stadium you kind of sat almost underground with a stadium on top of you the Olympic Stadium in Rome's quite far back but it's it's fully surrounded like Murrayfield's quite a uh, it's strange in the fact that the stands don't tower over you but when it gets going it's a uh, I don't want to say intimidating place but when the Scottish shirts go in and sort of Flower Scotland stuff are playing, it's it's a loud stadium to play at. Yes. It's a difficult place to play. Well, should we take like I suppose let's talk about actually when you when you arrive yeah. there. Because you always have to leave earlier than any other game. Yes. Because when the bus pulls in, so the bus will pull in and you sort of see the sea of fans and everyone's there in the stadium. Scotland then decide that they'll have a load of bagpipers playing yep. in front of the bus. Yep. And they will march, walk, take their time. And you just have to obviously follow this bus the whole way around the stadium until you get to the check, like the entrance of where the players bit is. And that feels like that's a long old time. And obviously you look out the window and there's people that want to give you their uh, their views on, on you being English. I don't think it always happened that way, but it's only in recent years. I remember basically we pulled in one time. It might have been, because I remember I think John at the front of the bus, Martin Johnson was getting irate at the fact that he just wanted the bus driver to run him over. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, you, you pull in, don't you? And you've got to drive slowly anyway around a stadium, but the bagpipers do walk at a walk is probably being generous to the speed they go at, or I remember. So yeah, you'd have to take your time. It's quite, as well, I think as well, when you come off the bus, you get your bags and stuff, but you kind of, there's tiers of people, so there's people sort of around you, but because you're almost in the stadium, there's people on like the stairwells and almost on the tier two of the stadium looking down at you, aren't there? So it's a lot of fans at that point in time. I actually love it. All you can hear is booing and yeah. whistling and booing and whistling, and you step off the bus, right? And we always wait for everyone to get their bags before we walk in together. Like, you know, some teams just get in, grab the bag and go. So you can be stood there for like, I don't know, a minute outside and all you can hear is boo and whistle. And I love it. I, I actually love it. It's so good. If you weren't sure about what the Scots think of the English as a player, you figure it out pretty quickly. So, so obviously there'll be, be some experienced guys that go there and have seen it all before, but equally there'll be some youngsters that are going there for the first time and um, just enjoy it. I just, I just enjoy it. It's like part of the the circus and the, the pantomime of it and, and I suppose the experience of going to places like, like Murrayfield. I'm pretty sure there's someone for a plastic bottle that was once from up in the heavens. Did they try and hit Eddie, did they? Yeah. They hit Eddie, yeah. there was like another thing, wasn't it? Yeah. Where they, where they I, hit kicked off. I remember it was, but I think it was Eddie they were trying to get. But Eddie obviously had a... Like when you lose to like Wales or Ireland or France, like it's, you lose and it's, everyone sort of gets on with it, right? But when you lose to Scots, I just feel like it's the worst team to lose to because I just want to like, I think because for years they haven't necessarily got the better of England and it's like big brother, little brother, that sort of like rivalry. And when you do lose them, it's like they're the worst team to lose to. And obviously Eddie experienced it going back on the yeah. train that time. I think that was probably the worst behaved like fans in stadium. I'm being... I was sort of got subbed off, so I sat in the stand when we lost in 2018. Because it's the first time I think Scotland won in like 10 years. It's a bit different, I think, recently. Because obviously Scotland won the past three or four games of play against England. But 
Yeah, I remember that 2018. I think that's when Eddie, I think he got the train. Was he meeting Alex Ferguson in Manchester? He was getting the train from like was, Edinburgh yeah. to Manchester and literally got drunken Scots fans. And I don't even say they represent all Scottish fans. They don't, but I'm trying to get in the cab with him, abusing him. And yeah, it was eye-opening in regards to like, I say you lose to Wales Island, the Welsh and Irish love it, but it sort of doesn't go over a mark, whereas that day it kind of did, which spoilt the whole, well, not spoilt it, but it was a bit like, Weird. Well, actually, I didn't play in 2018, Dan, so uh, you do the maths on that, mate. I was at home icing my knee due to being injured, but um, I remember also seeing the behaviour of sort of, I don't know, the players after and all that, and they couldn't back it up because they got thumped the following week, didn't they? But it's all right, they get up for one game in England and they're all rock stars, but... Uh, it proves to you how much it means to Scotland and the players when I think, like, especially losing that game 2018 was eye-opening in regards to, like, they were out celebrating as hard as they were. It obviously meant a lot to them. Again, in recent times, I think it's probably shifted because I think, as I say, Scotland have won the past, probably three of the past five or four of the past five, so they're probably, it's still big, obviously England Scotland's still big, but they're probably more used to winning in that regard. Yeah, uh, do you know what though? I think what it has done is ignite this fresh rivalry, yeah. which is great because it's always big, but I actually think the fixtures is good and as and it has as big a rivalry as it ever has had, um, which I think is great for the game. And as you say, like that 2018 was, you know, the first time they'd won for a long time and didn't we know about it, Christ. So obviously the Calcutta Cup is back on the line. What do you know about the Calcutta Cup, mate? I did some research. You'd be glad to know via Wikipedia. Do you know what it's actually made of, Ben? Rubies. Rubies. Steel, rubies. The Indian currency is a rupee. <laughs> <laughs> Ask me again. <laughs> no, that stayed in. There we go. Uh, what did I say? Rubies. I was worried I said something else then, yeah, which was a no, drug. Yeah. <laughs> rupees. <laughs> Melted, everyone licks it. Everyone drinks out of it afterwards and then forgets what they've been. Um, so it was originally, basically on Christmas Day in 1872... There was a 20-a-side rugby game in Calcutta, which was later on next year became the Calcutta Rugby Football Club, which is India. Is was. it still going? The Calcutta Cup, yeah, we're playing for it. No, the, the Indian team. No, well, this is no, it, it's folded, basically. Oh, um, but it, this is the story, Ben. Sorry. Ben, ben, you, you're getting ahead of me now. Um, I won't interrupt. You, you, you give me all the information. So those members played like an England versus Scotland game. And basically, in uh, 1874, they joined the RFU. But in 1878, a lot of their members left, but they had a full bank account. So apparently they took the money out in silver coins and melted it down and had it crafted into the trophy, the Calcutta Cup. I don't think it's the one we have today. I think that's been made a couple of times, but I'll try and check at the weekend. So this was basically made into a thing. And I think originally they wanted it to be like the um, FA Cup of rugby. However, the RFU thought this competitiveness was against the spirit of the amateur game. So they decided that it should be between England and Scotland because that was like the original sort of test match. And apparently it dates all the way back. Yeah, I so say the first game properly was played in 1879 but i think on the plinth it actually goes 1871 so no one really knows you've heard the story of dean richards and um the english captain and the scottish captain john jeffries basically kicking it down the street and denting it in 1988 that's sort of like a well-known sort of rugby tale yeah. that they decided to play football with the, the cup on a drunken night out kicked it down printer street apparently one of them got suspended for like six months the other for a game so um, you got the six months. I think the Scotsman. I think it was six months. Um, but yeah, they got suspended for that. Do you think that would happen nowadays? Absolutely. Not. The most we do with a trophy nowadays is fill it up with some beer and have a drink out of it. Do you know what I mean? And have a few photos. But it does get quickly whisked away. But yeah, it does actually. Though I have seen. Didn't who dropped it in the lid? Didn't the lid fall off it? Tell you what happens. Right, bug bearer. All the staff want a picture with it. <laughs> so it's like, they just run off with it. Yeah. So you got all the staff going, oh, hang on, let's get a group photo. And all the lads are like, hang on, where's the... Oh, no, it's oh, gone. It's gone. And they just don't see it again. That's true. But that's the history of the Calcutta Cup. Well, not history. That's how the how England and Scotland came to compete for the Calcutta Cup. So once you, once we've navigated our way yeah. off the bus, been yeah. booed, been hissed, yeah. like had all that sort of, I suppose, pantomime fun, yeah. 
walk into the sheds, right? And they're not your normal dressing rooms, right? Well, I think originally they were in regards to just like a square-shaped room with some showers off it and that kind of stuff. But at some point, some smart-ass decided that it was best to put a fake pillar in the middle of the change room. So you can't make eye contact with people like diagonally opposite you or like in front of you. And that is probably done by somebody to set, upset the mojo of the opposition team. I can't say, and the fact we're talking about it probably means that they think they've nailed it because it would make a distraction because we're talking about it. But at the same time, I mean, this pillar is probably what, one and a half metres by one and a half metres. I wouldn't say it has that much effect. No, I agree with you. It's one of those things that like people are sort of aware of, or some people are, they yeah. certainly are now. Yeah. But like in terms of as a player, like I'm just in there to get changed, right? Yeah. Like all the messaging is done. It doesn't necessarily bother me if I can't make eye contact with certain people around the room. But someone along the lines has fed this information in Maybe it was a builder. I said, do you know what you need? <laughs> yeah. What you need is a fake pillar in the middle of the dressing room. Just, uh, that'll be one million pounds, please. In fact, the pillar's actually quite handy at half time because when you come in at half time, right, the forwards will go one yeah. way and the backs will go one way. So actually they've done us an absolute solid because the dividing pillar creates that space that we need at half time. So good on them. Silver linings to every club then. So that's Murray Fuller. So then you go out, when you, you go past the pillar, you come out of the changing room, the actual entrance into the changing room, both teams line up. Do you remember that year when George Ford almost got beaten up? Were you there? You weren't there, were you? No, that's probably that's, why. As I mentioned again, that. As I told you, I, 18, I wasn't ava available. That is, of course. You know, you if you'd have been there, it wouldn't have happened. But well, I, yeah. there's a lot of things that wouldn't have happened. We all know what happened in Australia 2016 down the tunnel, don't we? Is that when you sent someone over a table? It is, yeah. Should we give the listeners what they want to hear or not? Uh, you could tell the story, yeah. For those that you don't know, I'm actually a triple R bastard. And we came in against Australia 2016. Was that the second test? It was. It had been a bit of a... Don't act like you don't know. Don't act like you can't remember. No, I remember getting stripped of my shirt in that game. Oh, yeah? Because that was... Uh, the well, I, was I can't that. remember that. Well, no, the shirt came off. <laughs> I was under tense. Um, because the second test, we were basically told to go after the nine, weren't we? Or something like that. Get Nick Fibs under as much pressure as possible, right? Uh, that was one of the tactics. But half-time, we did like a massive D set. And it was, it was played in Melbourne, wasn't it, the game? And we come in at half-time and they were like Aussies. Like, it's quite a long tunnels like in the corner of the stadium, wasn't it? So you had to, instead of normal halfway, it's on the corner. So you have to kind of go out and round. And no, it was in the middle. But it was so, like, it was a long, it's like down a slope. Ah, right, that's right. And then yeah. like you, you go left and they go right. But it's like a long, it's like a good 25 metres like down the tunnel before you go off. And um, we'd have held, held the Aussies out and the Aussies were good at like chatting. So they've come in and they're chatting and they've given it all sorts. And a few of us lot are giving it back and it's, it's heated because it was a great, like, it was like Eddie versus Checker and all, like the whole, anyway, one thing led to another. So I just, Fibs was running his mouth. So I just thought, do you know what? I'm going to have to take one for the team. Eh? So essentially I just grabbed him from behind and slung him like a hammer throw over a table. <laughs> and then it absolutely erupted, right? <laughs> Everyone went mental. By this point, I've actually walked off. <laughs> And then Eddie was like waiting at the bottom. He was like loving it. So he was, he was happy as Larry. But yeah, it, it basically one of those things, you know, where it's like boiling, boiling, and then you're the one that sparks it and then everyone goes mental, but it's all happening behind me. You're just having a Lucas at half time. Be like, where, where is everyone? Where are the lads? Where are the lads? What are they doing out there? What are they <laughs> so if you were there in 20, what you're saying is basically, if you were there in 2018, George Ford getting attacked in the tunnel wouldn't have happened. Yeah, it wouldn't have happened. Not under my watch, Dan. History says that I, I'm, I'm good in those situations. Because was it, was it Ryan Wilson made a beeline? Because both teams somehow ended up coming into the tunnel, finishing the warmth at the same time. I think he made a beeline for Fordy, and Fordy didn't really know what was going on because couldn't really understand the accent. But also, I mean, it's a bit like, like going after George, like, bless him. Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's like if you want to be like, if you really want to go, like, go after like one of the big lads, like, 
you know, anyone can go up to anyone and be like, I'm going to break your leg every time you kick a ball. I'm going for your standing leg. Like, really? I think he turned out he was making a beeline for Farrell. Couldn't find him. Thought, I'll get George Ford instead. You know, tough guy on tough guy. Because <laughs> George is the 10. He's a, he's a re- yeah, I'm going to really go yeah. after like the, the yeah. hardest man in the Unfortunately, team. Unfortunately, George just happened to be there. So then he started going after George. But then Farrell appeared and it kind of like, it, I think it kicked off a bit and there was someone who was worried about getting pushed in the tunnel and this kind of stuff. But then it separated and that was it. But I remember, I think it was Martin Johnson. He was like commentating and it turned out that you couldn't get sighted or yellow card or red carded for anything that happened in the tunnel before the game. And he was gutted. <laughs> I was about to say, was it one of those moments that John was like, oh my gosh, yeah. all the things I could have done for years. Yeah, that's what he's like. He's like so you can't, you, can't get, you can't do anything pre-game that would... I think you can, I think they've changed it now. Maybe sighted afterwards. I think, but like at the time, apparently it wouldn't, like you might be able to get cited or there might be an investigation, but yeah, he couldn't get sent off or anything like that. And, and I just remember Martin Johnson being gutted that he'd like his entire career. He, if only you'd known. Imagine if he knew that in sort of that Jono era, because. <laughs> There'd been some full on brawls. Yeah. That's some what, that would be one way you'd want to start it and then be like, bye. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But also like they try and make it, Murrayfield, they do try and make it quite like atmospheric in regards to like if you're playing an evening kickoff, as the teams come out, they'll almost like turn off all the lights, have a spotlight, have like a lone bagpiper. But as a player, you have to line up because often Princess Anne will come out and greet both teams. So what are you going to say to her this, this time? Hello again. Nice to see you. Yeah, how do you do? You've aged well. Yeah. She might go, oh, I listen to the podcast. It's brilliant. I want some kit. Maybe she's going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and I'll be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, you'll have to go through the correct process and give us a five-star review and start at the bottom of the list. So, But I'll get there eventually. Bit busy at the minute. Give me a few weeks. Bear in uh, mind, obviously, get however, this in before the game starts. Just unfortunately, yeah, this conversation normally takes place. It's about three seconds long. It's like, hello, hello. So, so, so many months. But I'll try and pack it in there. I'll just follow it down the line. <laughs> just keep shooting her ear off. Yeah. Excuse me. Um, Mate, it's like when you play Ireland away, right? And they yeah. bring out that chap. Yeah. Like, who is he? Like, the honestly. president of Ireland. He's a, yeah. What's he up to, mate? Like he's tiny, and he comes out, doesn't he? Every time, it's like, oh my god! It's like, have you not met the lads enough yet? Like, seriously, he's got better things to do than watch a rugby game every Saturday as well. No, he, no, clearly he not. Rugby. Anyway, so let's work it out. So you've played twenty ten was debut. I, played, be, I reckon I've probably played what 10, 12, 14, 16, maybe say five times at Murrayfield. Five times. Like, is Princess Anne not had enough of it as well? She loves it, mate. It's she loves it. For the love of rugby. For the love of rugby. She, my God, does she love the Calcutta Cup. So she comes out. You've had three seconds with her five times. Grand total of 15 seconds. You can get a lot done in 15 seconds, mate. You've got 15 seconds to pitch the podcast yeah. to Princess Anne. Jamie George will go, this is Dan Cole. And she'll go, oh, uh, how do you do? And I'll be like, I'm really great. I've actually got a podcast out. Do you want to listen to it? Do you want to be on it? Do you want to be a guest on the podcast? Do you want to swap a shirt? And then she'll be like, what? And I'll be like, yes. <laughs> And on that note, we will go to a break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. 
That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do. Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips, and tricks. Told by leading names in sport and beyond. Who know what it takes to get to the very top. There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app. We're back. Back from the ads. I think we definitely got to mention the Scottish National Anthem, the Flower of Scotland. I think that's when you really appreciate Murray. Like as, a, as an away team and you, that anthem's been sung at you. They stop the music and it's the crowd actually sing it back at you a cappella. It's a great, it's, I mean, although it's a little bit... It's anti-English. English. Very anti-English. It's about the English loss at the Battle of Bannockburn or something, isn't it? So, uh, yes, yeah, fairly anti-English. Like, despite its um, anti-English ways... It's a very good anthem, a great anthem in Murrayfield. You can feel the sort of like... Hatred? No, I wouldn't say <laughs> hatred. I wouldn't say venom, but like you've the passion. You can feel the passion of... And it definitely feeds in the Scotch team and the crowd obviously get behind it and love it. And it's um, it's something in sport. Like say the hacker or something like that, facing that down or being in Murrayfield, having like a pretty anti-English song sung at you. Mm. It's actually something that gets you going. And you, when you look back on your career, it's something that you really had glad to have faced and been part of. No, I think that's, that's a great summer, isn't it? Because although you... You know the context of the anthem and everything like that. It's actually, it's still a unique moment where you are stood there and you are, at that point, the most disliked 23 against everyone here. Well, that's what it can feel like, isn't it? 23 yeah. versus the entire 68,000 or 67,000 that are there. You stand there and you feel it and you feel that it's them against just us. Oh, it's great. It's so good. It's so good. And I guess that comes back to why some of the games have probably been so tight. You do feel that. But it's great, right? That's why you play the game. That's what you want. And for some guys, it will be a little bit of sink or swim. Can you handle it or can you not? Right, I've heard the um, Monday pods. Ben, you actually do some quite good um, analysis from the weekend's action. Can you preview or give us an in-depth sort of feeling of how Finn Russell plays? I think that's, you know, more of an insight in what it's like to play or watch him play or play against him, what they should be looking for. It's strange, really, because I've seen Scotland... Against Wales, they were sort of untouchable, really, that first half. And then second half, they looked really flaky. Then the game against France, they do what Scotland do first half. And then second half, it's like they don't fire a shot. So I suspect this weekend, Scotland will almost revert back to type, which is a multi-phase game. So they'll go through the phases. They'll play with tempo, with Ben White, ruck, speed, and everything sort of comes through Finn Russell. So whether that is... This arrowhead, which I've spoken about before, this arrowhead off a, a sideline where you hit an arrowhead of forwards, you hit the middle guy, the nine hits the middle guy, and then Finn's connected out the back of that. So it goes, hits the middle guy, he plays it behind the, the third forward, just outside and behind to Finn Russell, who then sort of turns the corner and gets into those little holes with another pot of forwards coming. Whether that's Russell running, and he, he loves having wingers back on the inside. So he'll catch it from, let's say he's getting the ball from right to left. He'll catch it. And he'll step off his left foot and come back at everyone who's in and around that ruck. Like yourself, Coley, like the tight five really often are there. So he'll catch it from right to left. He'll come off his left foot and he'll have a winger really close to that breakdown. And all he's trying to look for is as the nine passes it, the defender goes lateral and he leaves a gap really. And you don't pick up that winger coming on the inside. 
if they do pick it up, he's happy to show go, trying to look for offloads and things like that. But I guess one of the big things with Finn Russell is he is a bag of tricks and he does make things happen. And I guess the biggest compliment I can sort of give to him is you can prep all week and you can try and take away his time and space and nullify what he does. But he can play along with his passing game. We saw that wonderful pass in 2018, which absolutely on the money and he's got that in his locker but he's also got an amazing amount of attacking kicks so he can come so flat to line and throw long off the hands or he can look like he's going to pass in the last second just drop on the foot and do these little attacking cross fields and I think that that's an area where England's high press defence has been really impressive and it's only going to get better and I just think that we'll get him forcing him to do these attacking kicks attacking kicks and I think that's an area where Scotland might go after but when he's got like Duan van der Merwe working and Tupelo to out him he's a key clog to Scotland so England can nullify him with the line speed they can stop those attacking kicks which I think is a, an option that he'll go to then I think that we'll be in a good spot the way he plays you watch say against France he's quite happy to send say three forwards around the corner then he'll almost drop out the back. Sometimes you'll have a 10 right connecting behind, but sometimes he's just dropping out the back, looking for stuff around while that's happening. And again, he'll say three or fours around the corner. And sometimes you can go four, five, six phases without him getting the ball. But I think while that's happening on, he's sort of sat maybe 10 metres deep and he's just looking for, as you say, a tight five forward. And he's going, there they are. We saw it with Bath against Gloucester. I think you got old Fraser Balmain. Like he just literally, two, phase, two, three phases, found out where he was and targeted him. And there's not many players in the world of rugby that can literally go, I'm targeting you. You know what I mean? I'm going to find you and then we're going to go for you. And that's what you say with that balls back inside with Jude and people like that. He almost sits out of the back, lets the forwards carry, forwards carry, forwards carry while he's scanning for an opportunity. Then he swings back round and he's actually attacking the one individually wants to pick off. Yeah, and it's it's clever, isn't it? Because you say he essentially is letting the forwards go to work whilst he's orchestrating the next phase. So he's almost trying to be two phases ahead. So he's like, forwards, you carry, then you carry again. And he's like going, right, boom, now's my opportunity. So that could be the opportunity the ball back inside. That could be the opportunity that actually the fullback's closing and the space is in behind. I guess the biggest thing that I suppose young players maybe don't do quite well is they just get so fixated to by the ruck and where the ball is and they all look in. So you could be a centre and you're just everyone's head's turned in at the ruck. And actually, like, you can't influence what's going over there, but you can influence what's going on in front of you and like where the space is. And as you say, Coley, like he's happy to let the fours go to work whilst he's just trying to look for opportunities and scheme, basically. You obviously have the flair of Finn Russell. I think that works really well because Scotland is so well organised slash drilled, I think. Hearing about Gregor Townsend and stuff, he has players, he knows where every player is for multiple phases of the game, off start plays, off lineouts, off scrums. And I think they have a lot of moves, but it's all designed to attack certain parts. And I think when you combine that organisation with the flair of someone like Finn Russell, who can then, as you say, pull one out of the bag or put people through holes, they're, they're a very difficult team. I think also you combine that with Scottish defence. I mean, traditionally, they're, they're brilliant over a ball. They'll slow you down. They could be a difficult team to attack against. Yeah, they're pretty inventive, aren't they, in terms of some of their strikes and what they come up with. And Gregor, without doubt, he definitely... You know, Scotland, they have to play a almost fast tempo, move the ball, move the point of attack sort of game. I'm not saying that they can't play that power game. I mean, they can, but I think it suits that style and that, that team better to play fast, expansive rugby, right? And that's why I think after the French game, they'll probably be a little bit aggrieved and disappointed that they didn't implement themselves. So I feel like they'll sort of double down on, on how they want to play. But Townsend's definitely smart with that. He, if I look at them as a whole as well you're right they're threats to the breakdown and they go hard at that and often they try and almost when you've got the ball they're trying to spoil as much as they can especially the breakdown slow you up and do all that and when they've got the ball they're, they're trying to play a, a more sort of expansive sort of cute little plays and different sort of you know 11 patterns and things like that so 2022 this is an example of when they're creative and that Townsend and the, and the way they think so they're kicking the ball off to us we receive it 
the hooker stays in the backfield and he actually stands right on the touchline next to the winger. So if I was to kick it, the winger would catch it and hooker's there anyway, right? But they'd obviously they've done their analysis, which all teams do. They know that in our side, our 22, at that point playing for England, you, you kick the ball off and you go to a set piece game. So boom, kick the ball off, got it to about halfway. Great kick off my right foot on the left-hand side. Got it off. Hooker's already literally, because he's on the touchline, takes one step off the field, grabs the ball for the ball boy waiting. They run back into a quick five-man line-out, hit the prop at the front so no one goes up, plays nine. They hit the middle of the field. We're not even set. We're not even set. Hooker's already there. The, the ball is in and gone. So th without doubt, it, it's a playbook off the training paddock, right? Balls hit the midfield and then they've come back on 11 pattern. So what 11 pattern is, they've hit the middle and they've come back to the side where the line-out took place. They've got one phase, say, to the right and then one phase back on itself to the left. Exactly. And then they've come back and they've ran this play and we're, we're at six and sevens. The winger's not where, where he needs to be. The connection's terrible and, and they go through and they end up scoring. And there's an example there where you, you, you've been caught out, not from doing the wrong thing because you've gone out and that's the way we play, but actually from their smartness in terms of we're leaving the hooker off kickoffs. England will kick it out. We are going to sprint back there. Hooker's already ready and the ball in, out. And like, we, we're still asking whether well, there's a five man, six man, seven man time we've done that they've won the collision in the midfield and they're coming back and we, we haven't got our fold right we haven't got our numbers right and they score so there's there's a really sort of snippet and example of sort of their creativity and how they think and that sort of fast tempo game which I think they'll want to do against England so hopefully it's horizontal rain terrible conditions and we absolutely pound them and England's defence I think is looking more and more aggressive which is great you know went back to type a little bit against Wales in terms of that kicking strat because it works and it's effective and it's going to be, you know, do you go up there and have this sort of idea or plan of like breaking free? But I just don't see that happening. So I think Scotland will want to go multi-phase against England. I think they will. I think that's what they think works. And I think England will want to be able to go, do you know what, we're going to get you in a bit of an arm wrestle here. I'm intrigued and I, and I really think that uh, it's, it's going to make for a great game. Like we did for the guide to Rome, obviously a lot of people will be going up by train or they'll be flying in and or driving. or driving, of course. So we better give them a little bit of an idea of what to do in Edinburgh. Well, again, you go for that romantic weekend. Friday night, we're going to we're gonna stay in the hotel and watch the under-20s game. Yeah. And no, then we'll go out to the local Irish bar and watch the under-20s. And then, yes, the next day we'll be spent watching England-Scotland. I would say I'm going to have to research what to do in Edinburgh because as rugby players, we go up there sometimes Thursday. We'll train it. Peniel Park, say on a Thursday, you fly up Thursday night. Friday, you probably have a walk around the stadium at some point, whether it's sometimes the afternoon, because the home team often gets, they get to decide where they want to go, so they might want to go first thing. So England will go afternoon. So in the morning, as a player, you basically hunt down where the best coffee is within a 10-minute walking distance, don't you? Go there, have a couple of coffees, come back, have lunch, and then go to the stadium. So there's not a lot of sightseeing involved when we go to Edinburgh, is there? No, there's not. You know, actually, a few years ago, um, so instead of going to the stadium, because it was always easier to do the last preparations in the morning and then have the rest of the day just to relax as players. So instead of going to the stadium, because Scotland had that slot, they found like a local club, mate. You know, the field of dreams. It's like, if you build it, they will come. And when I say build it, they must have got 20 fire trucks and just flooded the pitch. <laughs> and we still went and did a captain's run and everyone was so heavy legged, mate. It was awful. In the afternoon, you go find a nice coffee spot. I mean, you ain't going to be trekking around Edinburgh Castle. However, that is the third best thing to do in Edinburgh, according to TripAdvisor. Well, I mean, what's the first then? The I'm first thing is the Royal Yacht Britannia, which is actually a 15-minute journey outside of Edinburgh to sea, but that's number one. Number two is uh, Arthur's Seat, which is a 2,000-year-old fort in uh, Holyrood Park that basically overlooks Edinburgh, scenic. Then you've got Edinburgh Castle, 
And then you've got the real Mary's King's Close, which I think is a load of old back streets and stuff that people used to live down and work down. So I might visit that this weekend. And then um, the fifth one is a basically a camera museum. Right. So uh, compare, yeah, compared to Rome. <laughs> it's a real different. Had, I mean, Rome, we, I mean. Rome, we had everything. Well, not everything. You had a lot of historical monuments, didn't you? Whereas Edinburgh, we've got Edinburgh Castle. What you should do is probably go on a whiskey tour. What you, what you shouldn't do, though, is go on an open-top bus ride around the city. You know, you get those tours, don't you, around yeah. London and places like that. You do not want to be doing that in Edinburgh. You'll be absolutely freezing. You'll have a terrible cold come kickoff. Oh, and then you could go for a whiskey, actually, to clear out the nasals. You'd be all right. Maybe this is your chance to go and explore Edinburgh and have a good night out. And will you be reviewing the game Monday to see if Scotland uh, play the way you think they will? Dan, I won't just be reviewing that game. I'll be reviewing all the games, mate, because that's what I do. So, yeah, I'll obviously give as much insight as I can around key moments of all the games in the Six Nations. Well, that's the top-level analysis that I think the listeners enjoy hearing and want to. Well, they get what they want. For the love of rugby. Go and find us on Instagram and TikTok. Search for the love of rugby. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify, hit the follow button. If you want another podcast to listen to, go and find Joe Marler's Things People Do. Listen to the episode he did with a hostage negotiator. If you want to listen to our podcast ad-free, go to Amazon Music. Or if you're on Apple, just subscribe for £1 a week. Ben will be back on Monday to review the weekend's games. I won't be here. I'll be recovering. See you next week. Sports Social Podcast Network.